True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. Now, you're out there, you have acres and acres, hundreds of acres. All you have to do is water <laughs> okay. and mow, and they'll do the rest. Nope. Weed control, which you hate, fertilization, mm -hmm. aer aeration. Can't stand it. Among others. They'll do all that. So you can do literally anything else. Dana's out there like Yellowstone. You have better things to do in your free time. I know you do. You don't want to focus on lawn care. True green is too good to be true, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. But it is true. Right, David? Because yeah. you're going to have more time to do yeah, things that you want to focus on. All the hard work and it gets yeah. you to a great lawn. That's what you want. You take care of everything else you got to do in your life. You're very busy. Let True Green take care of this one thing. Get it off your plate. You know what? I do have some space. I want to put some grass down. Some I, I might. This, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll call you later, talk, True Green. Talk to True Green. <laughs> Where can listeners mm -hmm. purchase or learn more? You go to TrueGreen.com. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. Whoa. They offer a satisfaction guaranteed, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. That is such a cool thing. Good job, True Green. You're nailing it. Aw, David. Aww. Do you ever notice how women, we're going to talk about Bob Odenkirk, women have this <laughs> gear, a uh, this empathetic gear of going, ah, you know, it goes up mm -hmm. at the end. A man might see a puppy and go, ah, but a woman goes, ah, mm. and that's the woman you want when you have erectile dysfunction. Ah. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Sometimes when it doesn't work, I go, what did you say? What did you <laughs> oh, say you, to it when you, I wasn't looking? You blame her. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I go, well, you got to give me a heads up at least 48 to 72 hours. And then I'll start prepping things. And I'll There's start medication. I'll well, that'll be one of our sponsors, Cialis. <laughs> They'll figure it out. Uh, okay, guys, let's get to Bob Odenkirk. Bob Odenkirk, so funny. Yeah. Uh, we were there. He was a writer when I was there. Yeah. When Dana was there. Wrote in some of the hugest sketches. I mean, obviously, motivational speaker is the big monster, arguably one of the best yeah. of all time. With Brilliant Farley. writer. And very, he was, because uh, he was writing there and he wasn't really performing much. And then, of course, later on, he does, you know, yeah, he's Better a Call Saul, Bring It Bad. He's, and now nobody becomes this movie star later in life. But he was very enthusiastic. He'd be like, oh, oh Dana. Dana, it's so funny. Yeah. Oh. And I wrote a movie with him called Tucson, which was I a comedy Tucson. western for me and John Lovitz. John Lovitz was a Hello. western sheriff and Balderdash. Well, I was a uh, innocent Irish guy coming to town to be the new sheriff, and he was the mayor. And he said, and he was on a he was he was on a hangman's noose, he and he's it. yelling at the crowd. And there's a, a sign. <laughs> his his campaign to, to be reelected was, "If I don't clean up the town, you can hang me." So it was very Bob. <laughs> anyway, you can cut that part out. Uh, Bob's great, and uh, we had a great time there talking to him. Um, also. Yeah, he's done all this stuff, and he's such a good laugher, and he's very, he's a cheerleader. He really helps when you're writing. He helped me a lot with Hollywood Minute, um, and he's a great guy. I'm excited. Uh, I'm always excited to see him when I see him out. I always light up around a dude like that. He he just, uh, he's one of those, he does really cool stuff, like the Bob and David show was just very- uh, Mr. Show? 
Mr. Show. Commonly Sorry. known as? I, I saw it a couple, twice. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it. But <laughs> the show show? I, th- I thought it, it was the Bob and David show. That was more of a literal thing, that it was literally their show. So I was halfway there. But Mr. Show was great. Very low budget, but so esoteric. That and was huge before Breaking Bad. I mean, that was a huge, another feather in his cap. Do you have any feathers in your cap? Um... There's so many feathers, do. I don't so know many. how to count them. Dana's oh, got too many feathers. No, but then he he was kind of struggling a little bit, his words. Um, and then Breaking Bad and then Better Call Saul. So, and then the, he, now he's an action star. I think he's the nobody new- Nobody is a movie we're talking about and nobody's really oh, cool sorry. and I saw it. Did I don't you guys think see people it? get when you say nobody, but yeah. Nobody is really cool. And so he was great in that. So um, we will deep dive on our friend Bob Odenkirk. Is that Bob? Mm-hmm. Bob Which o- one's Bob, Bob, Dana? Tell me when Odum he comes on. Clerk. <laughs> How do you spell your name? Oakendorf. How do you spell it? O- O-K-E-N-D-O-R-F. Oakendorf. Odendorf. Dana Carkeys. Odin Kirk. Bob, did they, when you were in grade school, did they do something with your name and make fun of you? Because I had Dana Carkeys, drove me nuts. Uh, no. Uh, they called me, they called me Odie. Oh, yeah. Odie. I think I called you Odie. It makes sense. Spudley, Spudley, Oldie. You know what? It took me weeks to come up with that, but I went over your name back and forth. You ran it by a couple seven-year-olds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I called him Captain Kirk back in the day. <laughs> oh, that's Captain not Kirk, because he was. He was Odenkirk. See? That's all we got. Uh, Thanks for coming on, Bob. I wasn't Bob. the captain of anything. You guys, I love your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I can't tell. Podcasts are the place I go to to hang out with my friends now. That's the, that's why I did this, because I, I I don't get to have dinner with friends. I'm kind of an introverted person, and I stay inside a lot. <laughs> so I'm in my room right even now. Though, even this though is really like a Even dinner. though you're broadcasting from the CNN this is left over from the drew barrymore show yesterday (laughs) and we thought should we keep it i go bob will smile like he is now so i can get rid of it but let's see uh you had drew on no yeah and then we went on her show and she does a weekend update type segment we were zoomed in and this was the background so (laughs) look how happy bob is he's really thinking do you have any questions for drew bob no no, <laughs> they, we have to do some uh, house, housekeeping. Oh wait, I have a great, I have a great beginning. Ready? Here we go. R- Robert John Odenkirk was born in Benrin, Illinois, to Barbara and John. Then you got SNL. Wikipedia alert. That's really all there is to it. That's really a big jump. I'll get, well, that's that's all that matters. A little right? birdie told me at this a morning. Little birdie. At a given point, he said, everybody knew Bob Odenkirk was the funniest guy in Chicago. Someone told me that today when I was doing my wow. research. At, a, at some point in time, his initials are RS. Oh, geez. You know, <laughs> yeah, Robert, Robert. Robert thought that. Robert yes. thought that, but I don't think anyone else thought that. And, uh, what did, did Chicago vote on that? I, I just know, said it was, it was common knowledge. <laughs> No, they would have picked someone else. Uh, yeah. Uh, Larry, uh, Larry, uh, oh, what's his name? He's a stand-up in Chicago. No. Larry Farley. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. No, he was actually really funny. 
The cable Club guy? comic who did zanies all the time. Oh. Mm. Uh, Doctor. I should know Chicago this. Guy. Chicago guy. And it never, never left the Chicago circuit. You know who's really funny is a guy named Mike Toomey. Uh, also a Chicago who club just stayed comic. there. We had um, people, Will Durst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we had they San Francisco. There, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just they like it. Yeah. They, Some people don't want to branch out. They just they do well there. They make money there, and they just yeah. stay. That's right. That's right. And they, and it's okay. They like it's the cool. town. And they get plenty of work. They get married and have kids, and they and they don't go crazy like the rest of us. And they're leave. local stars, yeah. right? They go on the top radio yeah. show. Anyway, Bob, how are you? <laughs> how are you? This is what I would ask you if we were at a restaurant. I'd say, Bob, how are you? Yeah. Um, just generalize. Uh, I'm so good because I'm talking to you guys. God, that's the best I, answer I, I I've really ever gotten. <laughs> Thank you. I really, I really love that you asked me to do this and oh. that I get to hang out with you because it's true. It's like I listen to podcasts to listen to my friends talk, to hear their voices. And because uh, we don't get to do anything either because we're working or COVID fucked us up for two years or, you know, or, you know, just lives you get separated by having families and yeah and stuff. And uh, it's just a really wonderful thing to get to just hang out with people. And I've been listening a lot to the Gilbert Gottfried podcast, mm -hmm. which has been so, so entertaining, even though I didn't know Gilbert very well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, a lot of people I do know are on that, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, he just was, yeah, I, you know, uh, Gilbert, we, you know, when I w worked with the funny boys, do you remember them? Yeah. Those comedy team, yes. you know, yes. uh, Jim Valley and Jonathan Schmock, yeah. both funny on their own and they wrote together and performed. And so they were the guys that got me in the improv. Louis got me in the comedy store and I didn't make it. I was 20 and the funny boys got me in the improv and I did make it. And uh, when they, and I stayed on Jim Valley's couch and then he goes, I'm leaving for a week, but someone's going to stay here. And I go and it's like, hello, it was Gilbert Gottfried oh. in his underpants. <laughs> and he just sat eating Cocoa Puffs and I had a roommate for a week and I did, I was like, who's this man? Like, I didn't, it was, you know, it's very weird to live with someone you don't know. And uh, so I don't know him well, like you, Bob, but I did get to spend That's a week just hearing him. Then I'd see him out and about and. He was so, you know, I just funny. say what everyone else said. Very, very interesting brain. And uh, it sounds like interesting he guy. You and, very funny. Uh, Gilbert would share some certain sensibilities, Bob. You know, the way he deconstruct. I mean, his his Andrew Dice Clay bit his bad impression. They were just so funny. And <laughs> he was just. Yeah. I mean, I certainly appreciated the hell out of him. You know, he was uh, I only would see him around in New York, actually. Mm -hmm. And you probably did, too, at clubs. You know, when I did SNL, you guys probably don't know this, but I would go because uh, you probably didn't even know I did some stand up once in a while. Mm -hmm. But I would do Sunday night at the Improv, which is not a you oh, know, it was wow. kind of a sad club. But it for me, for me, it was like I just get a couple laughs and it just was like it made me feel so much better after my week of getting the shit kicked out of me. And just to even get a few laughs on that stage mm -hmm. meant a lot to me. It like charged me up for the week ahead. And uh, and so I would see him mm -hmm. and Larry David and, and those guys around that club. Um, yeah, it was it was well, interesting. Well, those are hard-earned laughs. I mean, when you're by yourself and you walk up and just get a couple laughs, it is that means a lot. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but it, it it gave me a little boost that I needed. Um, 
And when stand-up is giving you a boost, you know you're in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to that improv. That's true. I, Dana, this is stupid, but, and we'll get to Bob in about 40 yeah. minutes, but what I did is I used to, I would come from Arizona, and they said, I was a stand-up, and my buddy said, uh, he knows this guy, Gary Grant, that can book you gigs. So I'd fly the crummiest airline. I'd stay at Columbia with my friend. I would take my suitcase with props. Oof, oh, yeah. And I would get my New York coat, in quotes, which was my heavy, like, you know, like winter coat I would never wear in Arizona. It looked like a duster. I looked like young guns. So then I'd walk to the subway, take the subway to 44th, walk to the improv, wait until they assigned me some comedian. I remember this guy was 36 and he had a Nova. And I go, if I'm still doing this at age 36, please kill me. Because <laughs> I was 20. And then we drove to like BF Packies or somewhere in Jersey. This is how you did it. I'd do a set, bomb. I would get maybe 60 bucks, come home, maybe spring for a cab fare because it's too late and scary to do the subway. And do that for two weeks and I'd, I'd clear 500. Uh, and it was great. But I got to see the improv. And I thought the improv, I'd always meet at the improv was the point. Um, but I, it was so, I, I always heard about it. And I go in there and the stage is like four inches high. It's like not that big of a deal. Not <laughs> in all. New York, yeah. You know what was interesting about that when I first went there was they had that wall of photographs mm -hmm. uh, when you came out of the, the showroom into the bar. Mm -hmm. And in those photographs were stuff from the, the 60s and 70s. Uh, and there's Andy Kaufman and there's, you know, um, probably Jerry Seinfeld's up there. Richard but then Bowser. there's a guy juggling and there's a singer. Mm -hmm. And I and I asked, uh, I don't know, the, I don't think I asked Silver who ran that club at the time, but I asked uh, probably the bartender or somebody what's with the singer and what what is this juggler doing and and they said well that's what the club used to be that's what all clubs used to be is specialty act mm -hmm. singer yeah uh or music and then a comic and sullivan and yeah and then it became and then the stand-up comedy boom hit and it was like everybody get the fuck out of here it's just stand-ups <laughs> <laughs> it's just then you had like peter Potofsky. there was like guys that were juggler comedians magic comedians and they kept the comedy part and it was probably easier to get on stage you know i think it probably there's some value to it in that you know if it's just one comic after another it's like if there's just something between the comics that can kind of clean, clear the palate a little bit, it's kind of a, I don't know. I, to me, yeah. the issue I had, and I write about it in my book, which is why we're talking, right? Comedy, 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 drama. I'm halfway through oh, it. Yeah. It's great. Fascinating. I hope you like it, Dana. I just got I to the comedy it. comedy well, part I so have my far. own lane of this life we've <laughs> shared together. And then where we intersected was so cool. I just have great memories of you. And we wrote a movie together, which you primarily wrote, but called Tucson. And uh, oh, yeah. we had a lot of fun. I remember Tucson. That still is a great, really funny script. Oh, yeah. Uh, thanks, Dana. I think so, too. I think it's a great scenario that you cooked up, which is that little guy in the West. and he's Irishman, yeah. Irishman, with good with his guns, but mm -hmm. just sweet as hell. And so the opposite of Clint Eastwood, just the very polar opposite yeah. of a Clint Eastwood character. And uh, 
so um what was i saying just that yeah uh, you know the first scene that that must have been it's so you oh what well i think i come to town i'm from so ireland yeah and yeah. lovitz is is got a hangman's noose around him and there's posters he was running for mayor and the posters said <laughs> if i don't clean up the town you can hang me <laughs> and then lovitz was the conniving oh hello and i was well i put up my guns you know so anyway but that was uh, but um there was a joke in there dana that somebody else did in a movie very in the last mm -hmm. few years it was one of the characters was named like clint eastwood <laughs> yeah and there was some his name was clint eastwood and uh there was so much great stuff somebody in did that joke recently Didn't you write, um, yeah that's or john ham sometimes when john ham is in a show they call him john ham just as on yeah. larry david it's funny but yeah Looking to save on delivery? DashPass from DoorDash is your door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. DashPass is an exclusive membership with DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders and members-only deals and discounts. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, grocery from across town, or anything in between, DashPass is the most affordable way to get everything you need delivered right to your door. With $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders, DashPass makes it easy to save at restaurants, grocery stores, and all your local favorites on DoorDash. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, all for $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for Dash Pass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Should we go back to and then make our way to SNL? I just I I'm sort of curious because I don't didn't see it. But what was the stuff that well you know I, got you? I talk you a get? lot about the trauma of SNL. You know I I, I SNL is pretty easy to write about because it was so hard and uh, and difficult mm -hmm. for me personally. But that's true. Think for a lot of people, and the story's been told many times. But I just told my version of it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a crucible, right, of pressure and desire and and discovering yourself. And and it just leads to a lot of interior trauma. And then that's something to write about. Whereas, you know, when I got to the later parts of the book and I'm writing about Breaking Bad where, well, I mean, there was a journey there to become a better actor, but also the journey of the show becoming famous but the show itself was a well-oiled machine with nothing but pros in every direction and nobody having any emotional issues <laughs> just working really hard and supporting each other and pulling together yeah and and so there's not much to say we you know isn't it great the writers did a great job, and then we all worked really hard and it turned out well. And well, there's and nothing we, to say. And we, it's not like if they if someone has a good scene, then everyone goes, "That guy's the best one. He's the best one in that scene." And then the rest of the day, you yeah. feel like shit. Right. Right. That's and yeah, you that's know different. That you know, you're getting it day to day. I assume, like you, you when you're doing Better Call Saul, and like, people hey, writing that was a great for you. day. It's going to be great, right? Uh, yeah. There's a yeah. I mean, especially over time, as you the more you do it, and you get to know the the values of the show, what's good about the show, and you see it coming across in the writing and 
and you know what you captured that day and think, well, that's going to play really well or mm-hmm. be fun to watch. And, and yeah, it's just not the, it's, there's not as much to say uh, as there is to say about Saturday Night Live, where there's so many books and so many, and they're all fascinating. Yeah. I love them all, by the way. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I wrote my book is I love to read showbiz memoirs. I just love them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and usually when somebody gets into something that works and, or they're talking about their hit show, there's not much to say. It's all about the struggle and the failure and the loss and the. That's where it, there's juicy stories. You know, Dana. When I got there, uh, Dana was uh, Bob was there Bob already was when I got there. I believe viewers. Yeah, Bob was there and uh, Dana was there, and I came in. And Bob is always. Uh, I saw Bob more than Dana just because Bob was a writer with me, and we were in there all the time. But Bob's always sort of in a good mood. Shockingly, when I look back, because it's hard <laughs> to be in a good mood at that place. But always laughing, always took a second for me. Uh, so did Conan. Uh, uh, but you guys at least would explain a little bit of what was going on because I was really a rube. Just right. Off, I was a middle act. I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to use. I didn't know how to use a yellow pad. I didn't know how. To, I had a square wooden desk, and they just down. He goes, "Here's your room. Bye." And I'm like, "I don't know what's going on. What am I doing?" And uh, and so I would. Everyone has so much to do on their own plate. You do, Bob. Dana does, and it's hard to take a second to tell someone, "Hey," because it's someone that not ultimately might take your job, but just one more person, kind of in your way in a weird way, and you have to put that aside for a second and be a human being and. And uh, you did that. It was very nice. And then, and now whenever I see you at a party, if it's a showbiz thing, I don't see Dana out as much unless we have dinner. But I run into Bob places and then I just beeline over to him because we always just start laughing within seconds. And that's fun to have. And we, we got through the craziness and we're both sort of sane. I Absolutely, think. buddy. That's how I feel. I, I, I never told you this, but that party at Gaio series where I met McCartney and got to sit with him for 15, 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> nice. As we, as Naomi and I were walking in, my wife and I, I'm dreading going to this party because I'm, you know, 59 or at the time 54 or whatever, <laughs> and thinking, fuck it, I don't, I don't want to go out anymore at all, ever. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, I'm thinking it's just going to be intimidating. There's going to be famous people here and. I don't know mm. what to say to them. And I turned to Naomi and I go, you know what? David Spade will be here. And, and buddy, I, we walk in the front door and we look down the hall and there you are. It fucking blew our minds. I love He's it. a man about town. There was one time I went to Guy's. I went to Guy's. I didn't even go to the, I obviously don't go to the Oscars, but I didn't go to Vanity Fair or anything. I just went straight over to Guy's because Rock was over there. And I get there. And before you get in, there's a line for the bathroom. So I just stand in line for a second. And then McCartney comes behind me. And then he has a little chitter chatter. And then I'm floored. And then Bono comes out. So I knew I was like, I, again, like you, I don't think anyone knows what to say to anyone. So yeah. I do a few jokes that, you know, sort of strike out. And then we all kind of dart our eyes. And then I drift well, Bob, away. Do you have something <laughs> throughout, you know, Mr. Show or anything? If someone comes up to you in an airport or something, I assume like most celebrities, specific compliments are the most flattering rather than you're great. You know, because someone came up to me, I'll just couch it. They came up to me at an airport and they said, I love skinheads in Maine. The thing I did with Colbert on my show. And it's so specific. My friends share that and laugh about it all the time. But you must have a hundred of those, especially with Mr. Show. 
so many quirky Mr. Yeah, Show. I, I'll tell you, everything. I have, uh, yeah, I mean, we've all gotten to do lots of cool stuff uh, between the three of us. I've just had this, the variety in my career is sometimes strange uh, in its intensity, <laughs> you yeah. know, because this movie, yeah. Nobody, that I did, this action movie, that's like around the world, a whole different audience that probably they've never heard of Mr. Show. Some of them have seen Breaking Bad, and they're just like a whole nother set of people. That's and, uh, <laughs> but but you know the strangest thing is is I always do have to do the math when somebody comes up to me of like I have no idea what you know me mm -hmm. from, what you think I right. did that was great. And I've had the biggest surprise is how more than a, a few times a year somebody will come up and go, "You are so great on How I Met Your Mother." I mean, you're just the best. <laughs> wow. And it's like, wow. I was on the show six times. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything like that, D uh, David? Do you have anything? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, there are little nuggets that I've done that people, you know, I get Emperor's New Groove and that's the only thing they yes. know me from because my voice. And right. then um, you get things that right. are like Light Sleeper where I played one scene and someone doesn't really know you at all and they know you're famous or you're something, but that's the only thing in your whole life they right. saw. And, and they appreciate it. So I'm, I'm happy. And it's true. I can sort of guess by who's coming up. I'm guessing sort of what they know me from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you, you might be able to get a feel. If they just say, you're great, I go, yeah, well, let's, now let's dig in. <laughs> I find that if, yeah. if someone what is was funny <laughs> or in one scene of a movie or one part of a show, if they, if they catch me and really make me laugh or impress me, I'm kind of like a fan from then on, even if it's just like a small cameo. Yeah. But Bob, the, the interesting part of your story, obviously, is like we know where it sort of is. It it went. And I'm just wondering, yeah. when, you go, when you go back to 87 and 91 and knowing you and your work ethic, your smarts and funny, all that stuff, like how does that guy, <laughs> what was the emotional, I mean, who was Bob in that those years that was so tenacious and so talented that then you went to this and then, of course, nobody is that they're going to make 10 of those that, that was so great for that genre I to reinvent that genre yeah, uh thanks thanks listen first of all i gotta tell you when they finally greenlit that movie and i went to go make it obviously i'm thinking probably we're gonna fuck everything up and it'll be a mess. <laughs> but i also thought if it works if it works yeah then <laughs> the thing i'm most excited about yeah. is my friends yeah going what the fuck? yes i said it I love i'm like it, it what <laughs> it's like bob no, is doing this man. now and it's not a one-off they all true. that is too good it's like too fucking oh, good i watch it and i go this better be exactly what i think it's gonna be and it was and it delivered and the fight i think it was on a bus or something i'm like yeah. what the, the fight fuck? scenes i know. couldn't even do i was like i'm a bigger puss out of all of us <laughs> and i couldn't even do the fake stunts for that because i'm i'm such a puss i'd be like we can't even fake do it with you <laughs> yeah it's because i go i don't really need to get beaten up but i can't lift my leg up and kick and i my this will hurt my clavicle if I hold this too high. So He's I like that it was you, and you you have to be in shape. Oh yeah, just to do you a fight very scene, a fake for one, that, right? I really to pull did. punches I, to do anything. Guys, I worked really hard because I knew I had a long way to go, and I and I and I and listen. Right from the start, it was like, look, if we're going to do this, it's not going to be ironic. I'm not going to wink at the camera. I'm not right. going to give myself an out. I'm going to look if I'm going to look like an asshole. I'm going to look like or a huge badass. middle life crisis. <laughs> yeah loser pathetic mm -hmm. like what happened to you guy 
I'm going to do this thing all the way or not at all. And then if it works, it's amazing. Yeah. And if it amazing. doesn't work, well, who didn't who didn't think it wouldn't work? I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> but, but I did. When the, do you realize it worked? Um, at a test screening or at uh, just rough dailies or the, is there a certain point where you go, here's this is thing. actually coming COVID, together? COVID really worked in our favor because – we had a cut. It was good, but it felt kind of like an indie movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it was a little slow um, and small. And then this, because of COVID, this um, editor, who's the second editor on the project, whose name is on it, because it should be, uh, said, I got I got nothing to do. Give me your movie. Let me fuck with it. And two weeks later, this guy wow. turned the movie back to us. Mm. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay, wait a second. And the interesting thing is he added, he built the sequence that opens the film out of shit that was on the cutting room floor. Mm. Didn't, not shot for the movie, just thrown away. What a worker. And everything else in the movie, all he did was chop it a little bit, shift some of Mm the um, order a little Mm -hmm. bit, not much. All he, and it was a totally different movie, totally different experience experience and just work from be- the get-go that tighten and brighten it was amazing what this guy because did. you connected to the character because it does work in in the whole emotional arc you really do feel some i feel sympathetic for your character i want him to win yeah well that's actually honestly that's one of the things i thought i could bring to that genre mm-hmm. is vulnerability. Um, just a i yeah, yeah vulnerability genuine like yeah. that you bought yeah like, because a lot of times, you know, you don't really, they try to have it, mm-hmm. but it's they forced. You don't really buy it. But you don't care if you're watching an action movie. A lot of times you don't care. You're like, so what? I, yeah. I like this guy. I like the yeah, scenario. Go hit somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fine. Go, let's see the action. And let's have some <laughs> fun with it. But I thought, is there something I could bring to this genre? And I thought, you know, around the world, I'm known from Better Call Saul. And that's a character who's, Getting his ass kicked in <laughs> yeah. a lot of ways, <laughs> yeah. and emotionally yeah. mm-hmm. getting his ass kicked, and um, and I play him, and there's a sort of a great degree of uh, empathy that people have for that guy, mm-hmm. and what the story they've. Evan Schiff is the editor. Mm-hmm. Evan Schiff Can came on that. board and yeah. and made that thing a beauty. Mm-hmm. It's important to give credit. I love it. Yeah. And uh, well, if you're if you're bullied a lot, Bob, like I was and Dana was, and uh, it, those movies are fucking I love because it's what I could never do. And yeah. right. when you see like Death Wish with Charles Bronson, he's at least a guy that's not getting bullied every day because right. he's tough. But when you see a guy like you, I totally buy. I go, all right, Bob's a nice guy. He's out there trying to fucking get through the world like everybody. And people just always fuck. They do it to me all the time. And so. <laughs> I know Chris Rock is doing the sequel, but anyway, um, <laughs> I, I, no, but I feel like when you, when you, when you see you in that situation and I'm like, please fucking screw these guys up. It's like the equalizer or something. Right, now. right, right. And it's the fantasy wish fulfillment that I could deliver on because I could really be that first iteration of the guy. And you really, yeah. really felt like, yeah, he really is. Yeah. It's not just, you know, um, I don't know, Tom Cruise with glasses on or, uh, you know, <laughs> or a, a buttoned up shirt, a yeah. shirt buttoned up to the collar, you know. I think you go into a bar, or you go into someone and you say, you want to see somebody they don't want you to, and you, you don't back down at all on anything, which is, I love, you just go, 
I think it's best if you, and you're like, this is the way I want to talk in all my whole life. Yeah. I just want to say, right. listen, here's what's going to happen. I hit you, you hit the ground. I hit the <laughs> next guy, he goes down. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? And you're like, just, we're, it, you wait about 30 seconds. You'll see how this hit goes. You know, it, I, I love too. that shit. Well, I love I, it. The, so the fun of this, this idea, this thing I had, the secret I had inside me when I'm training, which is like my friend's, Dana Carvey, David Spade, all these guys. <laughs> if I get to make this and it comes off, they're they're just not going to know where to turn. They're going to have to go to the hospital and get an MRI. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was a little bit of a opening an old-fashioned newspaper. Bob Odenkirk starring in action film. What the fuck? And the picture, the poster's like you kind of beat up, I think. That I'm is like, a great poster. What's going on here? Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it was a great joy to make that happen and to have that come to life. But anyway. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. To get a beautiful gift, mm -hmm. you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The tricky part, Dana, as you know, yeah, figure, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. I hate to say it. Price yep. matters. I mean, yep. Yep. that's why I recommend for any jewelry purchase. You source it from BlueNile.com. They've been with us for a while. Yeah. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds, David. And find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase. Some of their highest quality standards. They have some of the highest quality standards in the industry. Right. And David, whether you want to make a classic statement by gifting a white gold tennis bracelet mm -hmm. <laughs> to Sarah Sherman or, <laughs> or, bring out, or bring out her eyes with sapphire and diamond hoop earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts can help you find the perfect gift. David? They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions like, should I make it a diamond cut or a circle? <laughs> Those are the technical questions. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oval. They fit your budget. They'll make sure what you want, they can fit in your budget. Yes. It's very difficult to buy jewelry for someone because, um, you know, it's it's a subjective thing. And the, you'll be guided with the, this company is going to help you make the right choice. You give right. them a little information and they'll go, Sapphire. It's hard to roll down to your local strip mall and go, yeah. We're a jewelry store and we sell trucker hats. It's like, that's yeah. not what you want. Or sometimes they have a small jewelry kiosk inside a Denny's restaurant. And it's like, <laughs> they're flipping hotcakes and I'm trying to find my loved ones. Yeah. yeah. No, thank you. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. Oh, that's nice. So you can't lose. No, mm -hmm. just in case you got 30 day returns mm -hmm. shop blue nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler go to blue nile.com today that's blue nile.com would you like to learn a new language we oui. <laughs> see what we? i did oh no i said we oui, like french oh okay we 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 i have ever since i've seen pepe le pew and his way with women i thought I want to learn a new language. You know what? I, I do have a, because uh, I'm, a, I, I do voices and stuff. I do like yeah. the sound of, of, of French language. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're good at faking a language. I just do gibberish, but I want to actually learn, and that's, mm -hmm. I'm going to introduce you in the world to Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. Yes, I've heard about this and talked about it for a long time. It's the trusted expert for 30 years. They have millions of users, 25 languages offered. So I think that pretty much covers the globe. You've got yeah. your Spanish, your French, mm -hmm. you were just talking about, Korean, Dutch, Arabic. Fast language acquisition. It, 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 there's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. That's the hard part, I think. That's it. And it's an intuitive process. You pick mm -hmm. up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's all designed for long-term retention, which is great because I took Spanish for 12 years and all I know is how to find a library. Yes, Donde, I know. Donde está la biblioteca. So this one, really, really, you retain it. I learned German and I know Hastu Zweister now Abra. No, Hastu Bruder now. Nine Abra Cabras Zweister. That means, have, do you have a brother? No, I have, but I have three sisters. I took German for seven years, and all I remember is Gesundheit. <laughs> what does that mean? That means bless you. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> someone sneezes. Gesundheit. Rosetta Stone, that's not going to happen. Another thing I love is they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. That's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Very important to being understood in a foreign country is to do it in kind of the rhythm of the way that languages speak. Right. You don't, you don't look like some clown. Desktop and <laughs> app options, audio companion, ability to download lessons offline. Mm -hmm. By the way, the Lifetime membership has all 25 languages. For any and all trips and language needs in your life, mm -hmm. that's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. What are we waiting for? It's a steal. What is going on? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time. Fly in the Wall listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Oh, yeah. Visit rosettastone.com slash fly. That's 50. That's like the highest I've heard of. 50% mm -hmm. off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash fly today. Can um, I ask you a personal question? Uh, yeah, you, Danny. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I just for a second, because you're starring in this film and, you know, film and television have all overlapped. Now it's like t the best stuff's on television. You're starring a film. So like when you're like in the 70s, uh, whatever, what films uh, woke you up to to filmhood or show business? Like what was a seminal film for you as a kid? You know, it could be for Ben Stiller. Uh -oh. It was um, the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> Uh, for uh, for uh, for uh, Bill Hader, it was Taxi uh, Driver. <laughs> uh, Hanks was two thousand one. I, I can tell you, American Graffiti. Oh yeah, okay. Ron Howard, nineteen seventy three. Wow. Harrison Ford. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, you know, I'd gone to films, you know, fun movies at the Cineplex, and mm -hmm. they were just building Cineplexes at the time. But we had an old time movie theater in our small town of Naperville, Illinois. And I'd seen a John Wayne film there on its awesome. first run. Big Technicolor. Uh -huh. Yeah. Rio Lobo. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I um, thought it was the Cowboys. And I liked it. 
uh, and and it was great. And I loved going to movies uh, when I could. But um, we didn't go to a lot of movies. But going to that little old theater where you know they showed just the latest thing from the studios mm-hmm. for a week or two, mm-hmm. right? Um, and seeing American Graffiti, man, that was a totally different vibe. Yeah. Than every I everything that. I had seen I remember it. in that theater yeah. or anywhere. That was uh, it was a uh, new wave mm-hmm. of film in America, and uh, it felt more real. Um, it, uh, it it had a modern energy to it, and uh, it, it's a very good film. Yeah, I mean, George it's, Lucas, it's really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Was it's it's so interesting to see a movie that sort of changes the way you think, and maybe it tilted you toward comedy, maybe not, but just the, that's the beauty of movies when they you see a bunch that do nothing and you're just sort of killing time, and then one just grabs you. Right. Nothing like it. It's it's what you want to do when you make movies. You go, I want one that people remember. Right, right. You know? Something that's the funnest. Yeah, part. that's the thing. A movie can be that a TV show pretty much isn't which is this kind of very core elemental connection that just gets you deep, deeply. It's like a, it's a fable and a, and, and it's, and it really uh, takes you on a ride. I think with TV, you're always, no matter how well it's done, you just aren't as close to those lead characters. You're still just watching the story. You can be totally wrapped in the story, but it, you're just not, I don't know. I feel like movies just kind of grab you and take you on that one ride and you feel close to those characters in a personal way. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I, I, I agree. It, it might be the fact that it's singular, you know, Bob, yeah. like it's just you go and this is at beginning, middle, end and you go, wow. And you want to see the whole thing again. And TV, sometimes you go, if someone says, did you see the series? I'm like, Oh, what? And they're like, it's on episode four. Yeah. I mean, you know, like season four. You, go, I, I can't. But I, I, don't have I would, 200 yeah, hours I know. right now. Yeah. Go ahead, Bob. I, yeah. I just think the power of film more than ever now is turning off the cell phone and not being distracted because you're watching something with your wife. You're enjoying it. And then ring, ring, a ding, a ding. I mean, it's just, it's, it's yeah. a problem. Yeah. You know, so the focus of yeah. a film. Well, yeah, is really strong and, and really a powerful experience. Anyway, I still love TV and I love everything that we all get to do. And I, I really, I like moving around and I don't, certainly don't think I have a career, a future as a movie star, but I'll, I will get to make a few more movies, but it's not important to me. It wasn't like the drive of my life. I, I was driven by comedy as my book yeah. really, really says, I mean, I'm really trying to warn people with that title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people know me from Warn them. Better Call Saul and, and Breaking Bad, but I want to say, Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I'm going to talk about, you know, comedy in Chicago in 1985. Yeah. Uh, and you're probably not going to give a shit about that. And right. you definitely have fans that don't know you from comedy at yeah, all. At all. At all. That's rare for us for, you know, for comedians that you have a whole, huge new crowd it's it's yeah it's true and i and i i want to move around between these things because that's always been the most fun thing for me and that's one of the reasons i think i love sketch comedy so much is you're just jumping around from different ideas different Mm -hmm. you know different tones something's really broad something's a little subtler 
you know, I like jumping around between mm-hmm. all that stuff. So how did, how did you find yourself? Cause not everyone, if people should read the book, but you know, just quickly that journey from, I know Monty Python was a big, big wake up call yeah. for you. And then Ooh, you life went to Chicago, Brian. second city, but what was it about Monty Python? That's not in the book. <laughs> I, you know, what, what are your, uh, feel, even today you feel like that is the one that you and your brother Bill just went, Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of comedy in the seventies that we all watched. It had kind of a look, some of it was great, you know, um, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. I loved Carol Burnett's show. Uh, the, yeah. the vibe with those people was like joining a party that mm-hmm. was a very welcoming party. Friendly and it sweet. It wasn't like yeah. they were, yeah, friendly and sweet. And we sure needed that in my house. So I love that. But I think Python was, for me, the thing that spoke about how I looked at the world and it kind of put an arm around me and said, yeah, the adults are crazy assholes. And <laughs> uh, don't worry, it's you're not the only one thinking this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's OK. You can laugh at it. That's what you can do. And uh, and I think it's because. You know, they're young guys. They were in their 20s making that show, um, and they were very smart, and they're very silly, like extremely silly, mm-hmm. but very smart. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the that's – the ma- tough combo to get right. Yeah, that's the magic combination yeah. to me. And, uh, and I, I just – it just spoke to my – the way I needed to see the world to be uh, really comforted – you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this is what all the things we do and the things that affect us on a deep level do in in whether it's a movie or a book or a, a TV show or some stand up act is it makes you feel less alone. Mm-hmm. You just get that feeling of I'm not the only one who sees this in the world. And and when you're a kid and you're 10 or 11 at the time, I was, I think, 11 when I first saw Python, that is a crucial you're just about to become an adult. Mm-hmm probably really sensing and in my house i mean life was extremely unstable at that point because there's at that point five kids two more to come wow two more to come how the fuck does that happen (laughs) when you know financially it's off the rails there's Mm -hmm. no future (laughs) there's no stability anywhere anywhere near you and like how and you just as a kid, you know, no one's including you in any of that shit. Your parents Your dad are, was Alec Baldwin. <laughs> oh, boy, I wish he was. I wish he was. <laughs> Mine wasn't a picnic either, Bob. We, we've talked about this, I'm sure, privately, but it was rough. But yeah. yours sounds really intense. And Yeah, but I mean, look, yeah, you know, it but it's not that special. No, yeah. yeah, I mean, I try to express yeah. in the book, look, I know my childhood is not special. It is a very typical 70s childhood. You know, uh, people were just starting to have the word alcoholism in their vocabulary. I mean, there was, uh, you know, it was just coming to understand a lot of all of my dad's friends all ended up broke, bankrupt, divorced. Really? And (laughs) yeah, he used to take us out. He used to occasionally when he would hang out with us, he would take us to his office and we'd go to lunch with these five guys and they'd get fucking ripped at lunch. And uh, yeah. and all of them car crashes, divorce. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a America. Fucking, the playbook. It was like the playbook. 
Hey, you had your car yeah. crash. I'm next. I'm next. You know, and uh, yeah. I remember my dad quiet, getting in his car accident. Uh, and his was a good one. He went through the window. In his car accident. Yeah. He went through the window and landed like 15 feet outside the car. Oh, wow. And I remember him mm. looking in the mirror, picking glass out of his head. Like even like a week later, he's still picking little pieces of glass out of uh. his out of his bald head. Jeez. <laughs> so damn. you went in. But come on. That was come the on, 70s. That was a dad. Yeah, right? I mean, fuck, was, my dad was a oh, drone. We had, yeah. we had yeah, all kinds was, of I mean, excitement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, the bottom line is it wasn't special. It was just where I was at when comedy came yeah. along and told me, yeah, he's nuts. It's crazy. It's okay. Yeah. Just laugh at it. And, and, uh, and Steve Martin on SNL was also yeah. like a superpower rocket ship to like crazy town and the best comedy, the yeah. best mix of, you know, ample, you know, conceptualized, uh, you know, like the, the fast trunk brothers, like that's fucking off the rails stuff, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, um, the wild and crazy guys, two wild and yeah. crazy guys. Um, I am, uh, but yeah, they pull it off and it, it isn't, Look, there was there was a thing about the '70s humor that was kind of cute and palsy and wasn't didn't make me happy. The dangerous <laughs> stuff is what made me happy, and uh, and that's what came in came around around you know this time for me. Yeah, Carlin. And By the way, prior. your American Graffiti was my Life of Brian in oh, Arizona. Really? I saw Life of Brian and I was like, what the fuck is? This? I didn't know anything about Monty Python. I just went to a comedy and we snuck in because it was R rated. Wild. And it really hit me like what the fuck are these guys it was nothing like i'd seen and you know i don't want to harp on it but i was just wanted to acknowledge that money python stuff did hit me also i mean i saw animal house i saw all the stuff i'm supposed to see and fucking loved and then um uh, that was just a little different move and smart silly of course and just doing stuff we didn't do here oh yeah yeah, this, I, yeah. I had the same reaction all my uh, friends loved it and you now now bob i have to ask bob if he wrote for dennis because i didn't know that i don't think i knew you wrote for dennis miller uh, before no, snl after, yeah before i got on as a writer i would send jokes well i would send scripts to robert mm -hmm. here's what happened okay i was doing different crazy shit in chicago stand up sketch shows anything and robert smigel I'd seen his work at this little theater that we all went to school at called the Players Workshop, and he wrote a show there that later became a hit show. It ran for like a year and a half and, and mm. made tons of money. And, uh, and so I saw that show in its early iteration, and it was already solid. It's such good writing and so strong. It's so, like, it just works, like – I had a hit, hit ratio of like 15%. <laughs> and, 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 and I didn't care, by the way. That was fine. And, uh, and Smigel had a hit ratio of like 90%. And it was like... Yeah, he, he was a big slugging percentage. Like, holy shit, man. I don't know where that comes from. You know, Robert says it's the Rupert Pupkin effect is what he calls his achievement as, as mm -hmm. a young writer where all these years I've been pretending in my head that I was this writer and I've been sort of writing stuff in my head, like Rupert Pupkin in his basement. <laughs> and then he said, if you notice on the show, in the movie of uh, The King of Comedy, mm -hmm. when he actually gets a chance, it actually He's works. He's actually pretty he good. Yeah. 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 And mm -hmm. it's like just from 
hundreds of hours oh, yeah. of, you know, of doing it in front of the, you know, in front of the wall. Interesting. And, uh, and, yeah. and I hadn't done what Robert did, I think, not even close to the hours he'd put in on really examining writing and sketch work and what a sketch is and and uh but he had he, i saw his work i loved it he saw me in this crazy show it was off the rails silly stuff but i was doing characters and i was my i mean the only thing you could recommend about it was my commitment and my silliness i mean it was super silly and he got that i was willing to just go that far and <laughs> and thought it was cool and we started writing a show together and then he got hired at snl mm -hmm. and so here i am in chicago and he doesn't know anybody when he gets to SNL. So he's calling me up on a Monday and going, I have these two ideas, calling me again on Tuesday, reading the script to me. I'm going, do this joke. What about this? I'm just pitching him jokes. Mm -hmm. And he had yeah. he just has a partner, even though he's, you know, at SNL, new to the job, and he's got someone to call and work his stuff on with and work his stuff with on. And uh so I'm sending stuff in. He, I guess he's sharing it with some other writers. And then I'm sending jokes in for Dennis, and Dennis is doing them. Hmm. I mean, that Update. you know what that means. Yeah. To oh, yeah. Waiting tables oh. in Chicago. Yeah. To oh, go. you see a joke on the air? Yeah, my, I remember my first joke. I remember delivering food to the table at Ed DeBevix in Chicago. <laughs> and I keep checking the screen because they have SNL on. You can't hear it, but it's on the wow. TV. And there's that picture of Bob Hope, and there's my nasty joke, mean-spirited joke, <laughs> mean-spirited from this fucking kid. Do you want to tell us what it is? <laughs> the the, the statute of limitations on respecting Bob Hope for his earlier work ran out today. <laughs> Taking a shot. <laughs> I love it. And that's the statute of limitations. It's all the language and, you know, it's like a nicely, it's tightly all written. funny. And short, it's short sweet. and tight. Yeah. But and people. And it's something just, everyone's thinking. Yes, no one says out loud. No one says out loud. And. and <laughs> And it, it 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 did great, and Dennis does a couple of my jokes over the next year or two. And Smigel actually, there was one scene I wrote that got on. It was the uh, sideshow of the stars. So you know they had circus of the stars, and this was sideshow yeah. of the stars, <laughs> where they have you know. I don't even remember the jokes, but somebody's got hair all over their body that you didn't know or something, <laughs> Some, you know, sitcom actor. Uh, and, uh, and, and Robert, of course, punched it, punched that way up. Uh, but, uh, I only got, that was the only sketch that I got on when I hadn't been a writer there yet. And then, um, I had that meeting with Lauren that I detailed in the book and I kind of exaggerated, Whoa. but the truth is Dana and David, I, went into Lauren's office and I really did think this guy does not want his ass kissed. He's heard enough people, mm -hmm. you know, praise him. He wants to, <laughs> if he's going to hire somebody, he wants to hear somebody with a critical mind. <laughs> Some moxie. moxie. I, I, I got to hear what you said. I told you it's in the book. <laughs> well, I mean, I just went like, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, what, what do you think of the show? Do you like it? I don't know. I could fix it's it. It's been better. It's been better for sure. I mean, I think the earlier, wow. you know, and, and, and what, well, what, what comedy do you like? 
What do you like? Oh, Monty Python. Monty Python. Now, that was great. Mm. And that was great because it was smart and silly and and they didn't have to, you know, they, they didn't, they knew their lines. They weren't, yeah. you know, reading cue <laughs> cards. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fucking ripping the show. Because well, I, thanks for coming in, Bob. I kind of think he he's going to like this, you know? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> talk about not reading a room, man. Holy shit. And, uh, and the fact that he hired me is insane. The only thing I had in my favor was he doesn't really, uh, I want to, he doesn't have to examine that kind of hiring that closely. I mean, if a couple yeah. of writers want you to hire somebody, you're going to say, sure, go ahead. Give them a try. Mm-hmm. We can, yeah, we can yeah, try it They out. think they're good because yeah. he doesn't, he's not for, how can he tell in a meeting? Yeah, but also, and he goes, in other, fairness, I wasn't listening. The other thing I'd say, David, is, I mean, Lauren loves Python too. Oh, I mean, yeah. friends Lauren, with all of them. Lauren also yeah, yeah, Lauren probably would say if you said what's the best comedy show of the last hundred years, he'd go, "Oh, well, it's not my show; it's Monty Python." Mm-hmm. You know, right. and and so the fact is, he probably kind of. Well, the other thing is, he also knows what it's like to sit across from a very nervous young person who yeah. doesn't know mm-hmm. what to say, is completely wildly intimidated, and he's just done that ten thousand times, and probably yeah. kind of. Gave me a little break for that, maybe. Sure, he's a he's a he's very funny also, and I don't know if that always comes across that we talk about him because we joke, but he's very funny, he's very dry, and he and when you can make Lauren laugh at read through, it's so fun. Yeah, when he cracks up. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he slaps the table and laughs, and you're like, oh my god, what a home run. Yeah, uh, I don't. I never did you know, that, but yeah. <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Bob, Bob, we uh, Dane. I don't know if you remember when I was uh, having some troubles in the show and. I think I would just credit Bob with uh, the one in my picture in my head when I'm joking about People Magazine or just killing time of the day. And Bob is a great laugher, by the way, which always helps mm-hmm. disarm, you know, make you Very feel better. Very laugher. And a sincere laugher. sort of came up with Hollywood Minute and steered it with me. And uh, remember, Bob, we were thinking what like, maybe it could be a show. Oh, David, what did I do to help you with that? Well, I just said I you, think what you do here back in the writer's room, you should just do that. You're. Yes, it was something that simple, but it made me, and That's we were right. framing it, and I'm like, could it be a show called Guess What? Remember, I was like, guess what? You're an idiot. Uh, you know, and uh, and then it turned into like just a series of photos, which when you said that Bob Hope one, that was kind of like a simple way it's put, you know, do a joke, try to think of something people are thinking. Everyone's kissing ass to celebrities. We're, and I, I was unknown, which helped, you know, just innocent looking. That was part of it. That's why it took. I didn't want to do it as much later because I sort of turned into someone people knew, and then it's then it turns meaner. And then, uh, it was just kind of fun to take someone's legs out for no reason. Like, hey, this guy is famous. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then and and there was always a reason. Like, I didn't want to go at people more than once because you know you get one freebie if they screw up, and I didn't want it to be that mean. It was just for fun. But yes. uh, but it was a big help. Just the fact that you encourage or even listen to me. In between, we're eating Wally and Josephs or whatever. Uh, it was nice. Well, you and know, then I, it sort of just got you, me thinking. You know, I, I love to hear somebody, young, you know, I've helped a couple of young talent uh, groups or people to find some way forward. And it, it, it's because I, I know what it's like to um, tread water and lose ground and be lost. And, mm-hmm. and if you can give somebody yeah. a little cue, 
that maybe gives them a shortcut or clarifies what they're doing mm -hmm. already. And it's yeah. a great feeling to, to, to be able to do that. And, and uh, I guess I've done that even more than I thought, but um, yeah, I like to do it. I mean, part of it is, you know, one of the ways that you can use your skills when you've been at SNL for a few years as a writer. And by the time you were there, I'd been there for three years and uh, I finally was feeling like I'm starting to understand what the show needs, mm -hmm. what, what, because instead of what I wanted it to be, mm -hmm. which was insane because it's never going <laughs> to be Monty it's, Python. It's could not change it to yeah, it's loud. Right, yeah. right. Oh my God! Yeah. There's so much about yeah, it. The reality. It's, what's the reality? What, how forever. can you help? What's the show? It. It yeah. took me for years, years. Yeah. But somewhere sense. around my third year, my brain started to calm down and go, "Wait, it's not this other thing that you want it to be. It is a thing <laughs> yeah. that is has all kinds of. First of all, it's so fucking hard to do. You know, whenever we talk about it and we critique the show and. I mean, the fucking thing just on the on the face of it is impossible. It's absurd. It's an impossible yes. thing. It's absurd. <laughs> yeah. And the more I go yeah. back, the more I go. When I go back and see the show being done, I'm like, oh my yeah. god, this is impossible. <laughs> you know, when I was young, I never thought that. Oh my god, I, when I w got hired there, I was like, come on, how come this isn't better? Come on, work, you guys. This is not hard. This <laughs> is easy. Work, you this shouldn't be hard. Yeah. You know, and it's like once you've produced a few things, you're like, oh, <laughs> you want me to do a show Saturday night with sets? And you want and sets? how good all the departments are. Yeah, the departments are so fucking on it. They're so good. Yeah. They're so yeah. practical. Yeah. Anyway. Did you ever think during a, a long dress show? It sometimes I thought maybe tonight's the night it won't the show won't go on. They'll show a rerun or something. <laughs> Sometimes it just seemed I like never, I never thought yeah. that. I mean, I, I think it more now. But again, when I was there, Dana, when I started there, I had such I don't know. You know, you guys know the people who start in this business. There's such a strange mix of confidence, self-doubt, mm -hmm. ego, yeah. self-hatred. It's the weirdest. Yeah. Like, how does it work? How does it work that? <laughs> you have a friend, you know, we all have a friend, literally walks around all day hating themselves, talking about how stupid and dumb they are, and then gets on stage and tells about a crowd of strangers what they think. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, it's, it's what? a madhouse. Well, how That's does that funny. work? Something's wrong here because if you don't think you're worth anything, then, then you shouldn't be thinking, uh, give me that mic. I need to tell everyone what I <laughs> Give me that mic. I just always felt... <laughs> I need to lecture these people. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. Mm -hmm. And what makes a home is more than just house or property. It's the location and the neighborhood. Yes, exactly. This is really, really a smart uh, thing. If you have kids, it's also schools, regards to homes, nearby parks, transportation mm -hmm. options. That's why homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. Yeah, and when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide, 
They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, mm -hmm. student to teacher ratio. This is stuff you need. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's right. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place, homes.com. We've done your homework. Rewind it back to the days of chill accent on the beach and all day fun with spring break on DraftKings Casino. Play exclusive games like fan fave rocket. The excitement is endless. The vibes are right. And the cash prices could be huge. New players start playing with just five bucks and get 100 back instantly in casino credits. Download the app and use code FOTW to book your one-way ticket to fun with DraftKings Casino. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 plus. Physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario. Eligibility and other restrictions apply. One per opted-in new customer. $5 wager required. Max. $100 in casino credits awarded, which require one-time playthrough within 168 hours. See terms at casino.draftkings.com slash promos. Restrictions apply. Bob, I always felt if I didn't kill, I'd be, I'd get fired. I, I felt like I had to destroy it. Maybe I pushed a little too much at times until I got to Johnny Carson. Was the only sketch I did toward the end where I wasn't pushing. But I, I just wanted to make the point that. Um, are you still with us? Your screen's frozen. Oh, okay. Yeah. God, you were just. Oh yeah, yeah. Is that it? Seemed like you were, like if you told me you had a. a pretty good time on SNL wouldn't surprise you because it seems like you were sort of around a lot like you'd be in a room with Conan or Robert or here's an example I wanted the audience to hear Franken and I are doing a George Bush senior we're sitting around somewhere going hey, I'm doing the thing gotta do it gotta go and then and then it was uh we're trying to go I think Al said in the less uh the lesson of Vietnam and you would just eavesdropped or just walked by and you just went stay out of Vietnam and that killed on the show on Saturday. Lesson of Vietnam, stay out of Vietnam. Do you remember that moment, Bob? <laughs> but I think you were around the show a lot. Grumpy Old Man was really your, you originated that. I don't know. It seemed like you were around. You know, I, you know. I, I listen, if I try to think of the things I contributed to SNL, and basically I say in my book that I didn't, help at all and i got paid and i learned so mm -hmm. much about how to write a sketch and what a sketch is made yeah. of and i but and then i gave nothing back <laughs> nothing in return like lauren <laughs> totally got the shit end of the stick <laughs> with me um, no. um but uh probably uh, those things maybe added up to something the little things that i was able to do because Robert included me in, in writing mm -hmm. or, you know, anybody did. I mean, I can think of some of them because they stick out because they were, um, it would meant a lot to yeah. me when I was able to help yeah. and, and say something that helped. I, I, I wanted it to work. That's the other thing. Sometimes I think I, when I talk about the show, it sounds like I hated the show or thought it was dumb and, and fuck this place. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's not true. It's not true. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted nothing more than to be helpful and meaningful there 
and uh, it it would have meant so much to me to feel that way. But I, I, I just did my best. And, uh, and but you brought in like motivational speaker, which is one of the greats. I mean, that that's just that alone. You could have fucking. I know, walked but off. David, that was after I left. That scene was. Is that on. true? That was the next. Yeah, that that they did that scene the year after I left. Now they gave me credit for it, mm-hmm. of course, because I wrote right. it. I I wrote it alone mm-hmm. in my apartment in Chicago. But but uh, that wasn't even. I had left. Van down the show by the river. That. Just that. Wow. What? Van down by the river. Yeah. Is, is poetry. I mean, just the fact <laughs> that it's one of the most. I mean, listen. I, I just was in the scene, and I hear about it every day. So, uh, but I had nothing to do with it. I just was cast. Thank God, Lord Jesus. Well, you guys um, know that I, as proud as I am that I wrote it, and I'm supremely proud. It's a standout moment in my life. And uh, SNL's the fact life is, you yeah. know, Chris Farley is the reason. Freight train. Is, yeah. He's just come on. I mean, that guy. I mean, I talk about him a lot in the book, and and it's weird, and it's fun to talk to you guys right now because I mentioned to Howard Stern on his uh, podcast that uh, you know it's strange to <laughs> to write about somebody who I I mean, David, you were very close to him. I, I yeah. was not. I mean, I I was I felt very close to him, but so did anyone who saw him perform. Mm-hmm. Or even hung or out met with him. him. Or He's met such him. a sweet. Yeah, he was so yeah. nice and looking in the eye and just like shake your hand and be happy. And they felt like, oh, that's why he was so lovable. They're like, oh, this guy's my friend immediately. Yeah, Howard said, you know, I didn't really know him. And I said, but you did. You did. Because mm-hmm. you saw him. Perform. Yeah. <laughs> you saw him as a. That's basically yeah. what it was. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I, I was. I felt a little strange about writing as much as I did, but it was pure uh, honesty. And he affected me and uh, impacted me greatly, as he did everyone who who got to know him. So, um, so you know, I mean, it's fun to talk about how I I got to write that sketch and that it played so well on the show. But yeah. it's all Chris, you know. The show is always yeah. it, the show is always performance. One of the things that probably bothered me uh, was that SNL is always going to reward and and celebrate a performance laugh over a construction story laugh. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, I'm wanting those two to at least be equal. Right. Or if not, lean in my mm-hmm. direction where you go, yeah, that performer who does says Van yeah. Alba there, he's all right. But the fucking right. idea, the, the, that's so well constructed. And that probably was Jack Handy, <laughs> right? Jack Handy. Yeah. yeah. A Jack Handy sketch yeah. is a yeah. Jack Handy yeah. sketch. It is funny because Jack Handy is fucking genius. And and it does it. You can yeah. put seven other actors in there. If they're okay, yeah. you're going to laugh your ass off. caveman lawyer. I mean, Phil was great, but oh, the concept God, that was of what one it was was just so Jack Handy. And Phil you know, nailing it, but just he's nailing a great piece of writing sketch yeah. that was written so well and handy sketches you know like a fingerprint within a half a page at read through you're like looking around going is this jack handy like it's uh, immediately comes out of this of the gate uh, so Bob, we know uh 
you have another appointment. So I just wanted to ask you about your health for a second. How are you? If people say to me after that, I had my event. They said, how do you feel? Even a year later, are you feeling okay? And I always go, I either feel perfect or I'm in the hospital. So there's no, there's no like Bob's having a good day today. <laughs> You're completely whole and energetic and healed because the science is there to just to make this go away, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm great. I'm working out, doing the same workout I did when I did Nobody, and I'm back to it, and I feel great. I've got good energy all day. It took a while, Dana. I I had five weeks off after the heart attack. Mm-hmm. I had five weeks off, and then when I went back to work, they limited my hours to 12 hours a day. And that was actually <laughs> limited. That was really, oh, really? <laughs> Squat so quick. We could get started here. Yeah. And uh, And I needed that. Because I really got to about eight hours a day, and I would just start to sit down in the closest chair. Yeah, to the it, set, it takes it out of you. Getting stents and the drama of it, all of it, makes you weak for a little while. Yeah. So it took a couple more weeks, or even a month and a half or two, before I felt like I could do even the twelve-hour day fine. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine yeah. now, and I would I would just say that, um, you know, um, whatever. I'm I'm I. I knew that thing. I I knew that the plaque was building up, and I should have been on medicine. And anyway, I'm gonna be okay now. And I I got a lot of uh, I, I'm a lot to think about after mm-hmm. it happened. And now, and I wanted to ask you because you've also had a heart mm-hmm. issue. Do you do you ever <laughs> sometimes lay in bed and listen to your heart? I would say in the first year after all that, you know, any kind of little thing or skip a thing or whatever, it took me a while to let let that go. But I'm I'm really aware of my heart. Like if it's beating rapidly, I'm aware. Um, so yeah, that that. But you, you weren't before. Not not in the same way. Not in the same way, but I love getting my heart rate up. I love breaking a sweat. I do everything the same. I was just very, very lucky. And what I want to tell people with Bob here is that, you know, there there are statins, there's medicines, and there's uh, diagnostics, uh, CT heart scans. There's ways to be ahead of this. You know, thank God Bob had who he had around him at that moment. But there are ways to prevent yeah. it. It's not a death sentence. It doesn't change anything. And it's the medicine and the technology has gotten so brilliant since the 90s. So I would just uh, encourage people to get checked out if they have a family history. Right, Bob? Yeah. Or even if they don't, Dana, I don't. Oh, you didn't. Yeah. I don't have a family history. And, uh, and so if you're 50 and you're man or woman, 50 years old, 55, just ask your doctor for some simple tests, LDL, that yeah. stuff. Get the simple test done. Uh, it, it'll tell you. And these medications are very mild. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to change anything about no. you. So just, you know, take the statin or whatever they recommend if you need it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I was very lucky. I was su- supremely lucky, you guys. Not only that, listen, I just learned this a few days ago. The AED device that they u- that Rosa yeah. Estrada used to jack me mm-hmm. up, and yeah, it took three, start a heart. three runs. Yeah. <clears throat> it took three tries. Jeez. Um, Oof. She wow. had that in her car because she was trying to return it to somebody she borrowed it from, and she'd been trying Fuck to off. return it for weeks, and this guy was never home. Uh, but wow. otherwise there wouldn't have been one anywhere near 
And so only because this guy didn't <laughs> wasn't there to answer the door that she had it in her trunk of her car and could go run and get it. You know what's weird, Bob, is my brother Brad lives in Albuquerque. He's the guy based Garth on. He had a massive heart attack 20 years ago. Uh, and, and two paramedics were part of the track club. And he just went lights out. Same kind of thing. 15 minutes of all that. Start the heart. And he's fine today. So... And it was in Albuquerque, too. But so I know right two there. people in Albuquerque freakily had heart attacks where they should have had them. You don't want to have that a heart attack. terrifying. Well, there's, there's two ways to look at it, David. It's either terrifying or it's exactly where you should go to have your heart attack. Albuquerque. Yes. Um, yes. Listen, I'm, I have a history of having an attitude. I would... I would love to talk to you guys for five more hours. Yep. Uh, I love you, Bob. No, Thank you for coming, you. man. Thanks so yeah, much. Yeah, Bob, it's been such Thanks, a pleasure. Guys. You're right. We could go for five more hours. Peace out. All right. Miss you, buddy. Thanks. Miss you, too. See ya. Take care. See you, pal. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Soon, I hope. Hey, what's up, flies? What's up, fleas? What's up, people that listen? We want to hear from you and your dumb questions. Questions, ask us anything. Anything you want. You can email us at flyonthewall at cadence13.com. Steve Rusnak. Guys, if you could star in a bio about anyone, who would it be? You guys are fantastic. Hmm. I guess I a can't bio do movie? Judy Garland. Someone already did that. Renee Zellweger. Uh, who would I, I be would good? Probably who would the you life and times of David Spade. Oh, yeah. We could play each other. Yeah. Because um, I don't think I could do. I think I could play. Anyone. Um, I, I actually, if I think about it, really? I would love to put prosthetic Makeup. Yeah, here we Makeup go. Makeup on. What's going to be? And do a movie where I play Dwight D. Eisenhower. <laughs> no. Riveting. I, everyone's everyone's waiting for it. This is the week. I tested for the movie Amadeus. I was third in line Amadeus, for that Amadeus. movie. Amadeus playing Mozart. He's like a boy child. <laughs> I can play a thousand things and you can't. Do you that know, would be good. I was I was in a movie called Light Sleeper. This doesn't answer the question at all, but who cares? And Paul Schrader, who did Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, mm-hmm. unbelievable writer, was directing it. I went into audition and he goes, great audition. We're going to try to get Dana Carvey. And if we can't, we will hire you. And I said, very honest, I'll take it. And then they said, Dana doesn't want to fly to New York to do it. And I said, I will. Because you had to pay for yourself too. And what was it? What was Light it? Sleeper with Paul Schrader. They asked you, and you were uh, you just got back from L, uh, SNL, and you got to want to fly right back. It was only a one day shoot, so I did. Well, it. they used to have nicknamed Kevin Klein, Kevin D Klein, because he always said no. That's... I think I was second in command. Here it is. It's this much money in Nova Scotia. You, you leave tonight. Yeah, <laughs> that's when you go now. Because when you do stand up and corporate stand up or things, you're just like on call, almost like a firefighter. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta leave in two hours. It, it, it's in Berlin. I know agents <laughs> you know, are it's like, like twenty. For agents go, I do it. I mean, and you go, well, yeah, you sit in your fluffy office with AC, and I got to go down and get in Southwest and connect through Houston. Anyway, I was offered a gig in Munich. You know, okay. Fly on the Wall has been a presentation of Cadence Thirteen. Please listen, then rate, review, and follow all episodes. Executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment. Production and engineering led by Greg Holtzman, Richard Cook, Serena Regan, and Chris Basil of Cadence 13.